Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, you're sad about the Choco Taco, but when's the last time you even had one? The reason behind all these Protect Trans Kids signs popping up in neighborhoods and a Pennsylvania representative votes against legislation for same-sex and interracial marriage right before his gay son's wedding. It's Friday, July 29th. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. Every Friday, we have our Friday News Roundup. The voices change, but the concept does not. Today, we have newsletter editor Francesca DeBecco. Hey, Francesca. Hey, happy to be here. And producer Mallory Folk. Hey, Morgan. Hello. Um, So let's start with this one story. I, I saw this picking up some steam on Twitter, I don't know, maybe over the weekend? I guess not. What's time anymore? Just a couple days ago, Pennsylvania Representative Glenn G.T. I don't even like his nickname. Thompson <laughs> voted against a House bill that will require states to recognize uh, same-sex and interracial marriages just days before he went to his gay son's wedding. Ugh, Morgan. I typically like to reserve uh, my political opinions on things, but this is the definition of hypocritical. Yeah. Y- yeah, I mean, how did Thompson defend this? Did his office like have any kind of response once this story got out? Yeah, the, his office said that they described this bill as an election year messaging stunt for Democrats. Right. So, you know, literally voting against legislation that would guarantee your son the right to even have the wedding that he just had, but it's a stunt. So why does this matter locally? Like, where does Thompson represent here? Yeah, he some places that are pretty close. Butler County, you know, that's, what, 45 minutes to an hour away, depending on what part you're driving to. Um, Armstrong County, Indiana County. Venango, Clarion. So some pretty close by places. Um, The vote happened on July 19th. I think it was brought to the House on July 18th. Um, By a vote of 267 to 157, the House of Representatives passed the Respect for Marriage Act, which says that marriages performed in one state have to be recognized in all states, uh, regardless of your sex, your race, your national origin, that they also looped in same-sex marriage with that as well. So, so I mean, I'm assuming that they're introducing this act right now just because of everything that's been happening recently. Of course, yeah. After you know, Rofell and Clarence Thomas, I, I just such a long pause between him because I just you know see red when I think about him. Um, but after he also said that you know they're they're liable to come after. Other rights, same-sex marriage, um, interracial marriage, which is also hypocritical considering Clarence Thomas is a black man married to a white woman. But yeah, I guess hypocritical is the word of the day. <laughs> but but yeah, the Respect for Marriage Act would basically like keep those laws in place, including interracial couples um, that want to get married. And it seems like a long time ago, but that ruling, the 1967 ruling of, you know, loving the Virginia, it's not that long ago. Uh, So, I mean, is there any good news on this front? Any way to end the story on a slightly positive note? Well, for one, it still has to get through the Senate. It's not likely to happen before their August recess. So 
you know, you got a little bit of time to breathe. But it has to pass. Chuck Schumer really is the person that has to uh, set a date for all of this. And he needs to find 10 Republicans to sway to get like 51 votes will pass it, but 60 votes will make it like pretty safe. We will certainly be watching where this one goes. Anyways, moving on, Francesca. What's going on with these signs uh, that have been popping up over some Pittsburgh neighborhoods? It says they say, what, protect trans kids? Yeah, talking about some more LGBTQ rights, uh, specifically in our city. If you strolled through some neighborhoods in the past month, you may have noticed the signs popping up in yards. Um, like you said, they say protect trans kids with a trans pride flag colors in the background. And there's a ton of these in my neighborhood on the north side. I've mm. seen a bunch of them on my walks. And um, so they're really spreading throughout the city. What What is the background with these signs? Where are they coming from? Yeah, so uh, Pittsburgh LGBTQ Charities is partnering with Commonwealth Press to distribute these yard signs. They uh, started when um, they wanted to send a supportive message to transgender youth in our community after a local family pressed charges against um, their neighbor. Uh, they alleged that their teen daughter was targeted by transphobic slurs. Um, Sean O'Donnell was uh, the father of the daughter who um, this was reported by. Yeah. Um, and he reported that Darian Balcom harassed his family by putting up a large sign reading, Transing kids is abuse and homophobia. It was in clear view of his trans daughter's bedroom window. Oh, that's wow. terrible. Yeah. It's just really disheartening and sad. So Balcom's lawyers argued that she was exercising her constitutional right to free speech, but um, the magistrate on this case, Leah Williams-Duncan, she said that the content of the sign, you know, constituted fighting words, which is one of the few, <laughs> one of the few exceptions to the First Amendment. So um, yeah, glad to see, you know, her taking that stance on this case. So then what was the outcome of the case? What did she decide? Yeah, so that just happened this week. Darian Balcom was found guilty of a summary offense and was charged with a $200 fine. But, uh, you know, it just kind of goes to show with these these other signs, these positive signs uh, popping up around Pittsburgh, like how much the community does embrace um, inclusivity and how much we're looking out for each other. So I think it's, um, you know, a positive thing that is coming out of this really terrible and sad uh, predicament. So if any of our listeners want to show their support and put one of these signs on their lawn, uh, is there a place they can go to get them or how do they get them? Yeah, you can request a sign online. There's there's a form. Uh, warning, it is a pretty lengthy form, so <laughs> give yourself some time to submit your answers. Um, but, you know, the donations help cover the cost of additional signs. There is no fee for the signs, but donations do help cover the cost for additional signs, and all the donations are going back to producing more, um, you know, with Commonwealth Press. And right now there's uh, pickup locations currently in Northside, Swissville, and Brentwood. And they've also launched a GoFundMe to subsidize production of some like 500 more signs. So these are really spreading rapidly around the Berg. Do you like to dance? 
look at beautiful art, eat gourmet snacks, people watch, we'll mark your calendars for Friday, June 7th for one of my favorite parties in Pittsburgh. It's Mattress Factory's 25th Garden Party. The theme this year is make-believe, and it's all to celebrate and support the creatives in our community. There's going to be live music, an open bar, an art auction, and probably my favorite, the costume contest. Trust me, I will be judging yins, and so will everyone else there. Be playful, be imaginative, explore your magical realm, because this is a theme party. You want to come dressed to impress. You must be 21 and up to attend, and rest assured, every dollar raised goes directly towards supporting the museum, its art, its education, and all of its community outreach initiatives. Get your tickets now to the 25th Mattress Factory Garden Party. They are in our show notes and online at mattress.org. That's a very heartwarming story, Francesca. Uh, And from a heartwarming story to one that's really just for the ice cold hearted, the ice cream industry. (laughs) One day you're on top of the world with your butter pecan flavor and the next day you're out. Mallory, what's going on? Yeah, and I'll I'll say that uh, I promise this is going to be a Pittsburgh story. We just have to take a little detour to get there. (laughs) Scenic Um, route. Yeah, so, you know, you may well be aware that we learned this week Klondike is discontinuing the Choco Taco. A Klondike rep says they've... Yeah, (laughs) R.I.P. A Klondike rep says they've experienced an unprecedented spike in demand across their portfolio and had to make tough decisions about trimming that portfolio, which, like... What's the Klondike portfolio? As someone who's not in the business world, I just like don't associate the word portfolio with frozen ice cream tacos. It just sounds really silly to me, but you know, <laughs> it's like uh, in a file I told folder. You. <laughs> <laughs> the rough and tumble world of, of ice cream. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, anyway, as I was learning about this, I was I was surprised to find out that the Choco Taco is originally a Philly treat. Um, Uh apparently there have been like a ton of myths about where it came from. And so back in 2016, Eater did this deep dive into the history um, and said the definitive story is that it was invented by a former ice cream truck driver named Alan Drazen in 1983. How did he get the idea for the Choco Taco? So at the time, he was working as a manager at this Philly ice cream company called Jack and Jill, um, and places were kind of trying to create their own branded ice cream treats. And I guess this was when there was sort of a boom in Mexican chain restaurants, like Chi Chi's was really big. <laughs> For and, which um, we are grateful. <laughs> uh, some of us. <laughs> I lived in El Paso. I came to learn that Chi Chi's is not it. But, uh, but their fried ice cream was like, you know, such a big thing. It was. And I guess like, you know, Drazen told Eater that Mexican food was the fastest growing segment of the food industry at the time. And the taco was the most recognizable shape. And yeah, like you said, that fried ice cream was big. So he kind of got inspired to make this ice cream taco, um, which means that along with being the birthplace of the U.S., Philly can also claim that it's the birthplace of the Choco Taco. What does this have to do with Pittsburgh? Um, I know we <laughs> we have a CityCast Philly, um, our sister podcast from across the state, East versus West. Uh, they're launching soon, so we're excited to have them. But isn't this more like up their alley than ours? 
Well, so yeah, here's where it comes back to why we're including this on the Pittsburgh pod is that um, I've seen some online chatter that this means Pittsburgh is winning out over Philly um, because, you know, another item in the Klondike portfolio, the Klondike (laughs) bar, that's still going strong. And that's considered a Pittsburgh treat, or at least Pittsburgh likes to claim it. It was invented at Isley's, which is that iconic local chain known for its ice cream and its chipped ham as a Pittsburgh Jew got to say I've never tried the chipped ham, but all in on the ice cream. (laughs) So Pittsburgh claims the Klondike bar, but did we actually invent it here? So sadly, I'm having a lot of Pittsburgh myths busted this week. I just learned during our step tour interview that we don't have the most bridges in the U.S. That distinction goes to Houston. (laughs) And it turns out the Klondike bar was not invented in Pittsburgh. I was reading this article by friend of the pod, our newest contributor, Rosalind Colgan, um, and she said the Klondike bar got its start in Ohio, which is where Isley's was founded in the early 1900s, although there was a period when you could really only get the Klondike in Ohio and in Pittsburgh, where, you know, that's where the Isleys were. So we lay some claims to it, but we're not the birthplace. Yeah, you know, I saw this book by um, Heinz History Center writer Brian Bucko. He wrote a whole, uh, you know, kind of history on Isleys. It's called Isleys Chipped Ham, Klondikes, and Other Tales from Behind the Counter. And um, I was just looking at some of uh, the pages, and it looks like at the very beginning, uh, you could get a Klondike bar for 28 cents each. So imagine that. <laughs> Little fun fact. So I guess to close out the show, what's everyone's favorite ice cream truck treat? I know it's not the Choco Taco. Morgan, we can start with you. Mine is the chocolate eclair because everything else is always sold out. Lead producer Megan Harris, what about you? Uh, Also the chocolate eclair, but very much on purpose. I had it like every day in high school. Francesca? Yeah, it's been a minute since I've had an ice cream truck treat, but I am nostalgic for the strawberry shortcake. I love those crumbly outside bits. Mine is also the chocolate eclair. I love that, uh, you know, chocolate on chocolate on chocolate. I can't believe we all have the same style of ice cream truck treat. I feel like it's it's such an age thing and it's just hilarious that like Francesca is the youngest of all of us and it's still the same, but a slight twist with the strawberry. Just a little fruity. <laughs> That's all for the week here on CityCast Pittsburgh and what a week it's been. Megan Harris is our lead producer. Our newsletter editor is Francesca DeBecco. Mallory Falk produces the show. And our host is me, Morgan Moody. Music is by Benji. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends. Leave us a great rating. Leave us a great review. And of course, subscribe to our morning newsletter, All the Things. We'll be back on Monday with more news from around the city. So we'll see you then. Have a great weekend. sweating ourselves abroad like (laughs) so hot